I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be talking about Season 1 in our informal Season 1 wrap-up episode. Yeah, this is going to be a very different episode. We're playing it off the cuff even more so than usual for a podcast that is famous for no research. Famous. (laughs) Using the word famous super loosely. We have pretty much nothing planned, but uh, our producer, Darren, suggested that we do kind of a season one wrap-up, and I agree with him that it was a good idea because, you know, uh, we try to stick pretty close to the summary on our Mm -hmm. episodes in case people are watching along or in case people have never seen the show and they kind of want to know what's been happening. Um, And as a result, we try not to talk too much about episodes in the future of the show. And this will kind of give us a chance to talk about whole storylines this season, which ones worked, which ones didn't, characters, did they develop, did they not, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, on that note, we'll just dive right in. So season one overall impressions when you look back on this season you know many many seasons down the road i have to assume the royals will last for eight seasons and there'll be a spin-off movie sure. yeah. yeah maybe and more a spin-off series, maybe more I'm sure as well about maybe Gemma get her own series i could see her as a kind of sabrina the teenage witch type cartoon oh that might be good sort of almost like daria it's like a cartoon but it's for cool teens yeah, we should pitch E. They could branch off into animation. It'd be great. I bet that uh, the woman who plays Gemma would be an amazing voice actress. That's not even a joke. Probably. But I digress. <laughs> so when the Royals has gone many seasons down the road and you look back at season one and you remember it, what are some of the things about season one that are going to stick out to you, do you think? Well, I th- first of all, it's hard not to have my perception slightly colored by season two, which uh, we have both now seen the entirety of. Uh, Yeah, full disclosure, we're true fans. In case you hadn't heard, we're true fans because we are caught up on the show. Absolutely. And we definitely didn't let ourselves lag episodes behind. That didn't happen. I didn't finish season two literally earlier today. Um, In fairness to us, we were making a pod. We were busy making a podcast about the show. Time-consuming endeavor. It (laughs) takes up to ninety minutes every week. I think one of the things that is going to stand out to me to in season one is uh, I think there's a strange tonal shift in kind of the middle of the season where it goes from being like episode to episode at these weird, (laughs) crazy parties at a masquerade or in Monaco or at a garden party, and just kind of becomes a much more dramatic show in a very real way about the time Simon is attacked and maybe even an episode before that. All of a sudden, a song comes on and everything changes. Exactly so. I think (laughs) season two was much more in the tract of it's like high drama, like there is shit going down all the time, conspiracies upon conspiracies. And I think... The One of the things that may stick out to me for season one, if season three continues that stride, is the early sort of lighter episodes where it's just much more comedic, much more light in tone, much more of a party. Um, totally. I think, I think that's, that's going to be a unique time for the royals when things were so carefree. Only their brother was dead. Well, that's kind of along the lines of what I was going to say. I think I'm always going to think of season one as the season of King Simon. Yeah. Because it's going to be the only season we get to see him alive. And he's just such... I mean, to my mind, he's such a dynamic character. Probably mostly because that the actor who played him was so skilled. Because Simon doesn't really necessarily have any faults. Uh, He's almost like a To Kill a Mockingbird Atticus Finch Mm -hmm. before Go Set a Watchman Atticus Finch ever happened. Yeah. I've still not read that book, nor will I. Um, But 
Yeah, I thought that he brought a wonderful sort of dimension to the family. And I'd like to see the kind of baton that he dropped, that warmth and that compassion, Mm. be picked up by Eleanor. And based on what I've seen of season two, I could see that actually uh, being the case. You know, there's a lot of scheming and machinations in the family. And that's great. That's my favorite stuff in the show. Like, I don't go in for the romance. And the comedy is very hit or miss. You come and stay for the family drama. But I think that all the scheming and revenge isn't as impactful if there isn't some love to counterbalance it. Sure. And so I think that's something that the first season actually did really well. I think you're right. Um, sure, that's a risk on the show because we've talked about how some of the major characters can feel a little flat. Um, yeah. Specifically, obviously, I'm thinking of Liam and Ophelia occasionally just don't quite work as central as they are to the storyline. And with King Simon, who is one of the real emotional uh, weight bearers in season one, you could say that there's a risk in future seasons of of us. Because you're not going to ever get too, too upset for, say, Cyrus or Helena or whatever. Because they are fundamentally terrible people. I agree definitely about Helena, about Cyrus to an extent. I think this is like, honestly, I've never been one of those girls who's like super into Snape and Harry Potter, like Mm. has been into like the tormented bad boy types. Yeah. But there's something about Cyrus. Again, I feel like it has to be the actor. It has to be Jake Mascal. Like he makes me feel moments of sympathy, not empathy, but sympathy for the character like there are there are moments where i'm on cyrus's side i mean Uh, i think if it really came down to it and you're pitting cyrus versus helena like there's always going to be a part of me that's rooting for cyrus to win yeah i mean cyrus is an engaging character and i think even in this season there's moments where you feel sympathy or empathy for him but i think it's too fleeting to be the backbone of the show just based on his role and what he has previously done. Uh, I think you still have to rely a little bit more on someone like Simon or Eleanor, I think is really going to be the one to take up that mantle from here on out. Oh yeah, I don't think Cyrus is ever going to be the emotional core of the show. I would actually hate that because Mm -hmm. it would completely neuter him. Like I don't enjoy Cyrus's romantic storylines very much because they either involve rape, sexual blackmail, or they're boring, or some combination of all three. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't think he'll ever be the emotional core, but I'm saying he has his moments. Right. I would like to see Helena have more moments. I just, it's getting past the Elizabeth Hurley thing is difficult. I mean, I would like to see like almost a Betty Draper turn from her where the character is horrible, but you still feel like a disgusted pity for her at times. I I don't hate Betty Draper. I know some people do. I don't hate, I've never hated her. Um, but I don't I don't know that it's gonna come through I th- or that it can. I think they have by the end of season one and continue in season two to at least try and do that to mixed success. I don't know if I necessarily blame the writers for that failure as much as Elizabeth Hurley, but uh I think they do attempt it's a c- to give it's her a combination some because the 
writers wrote Alistair Lacey, and nothing about that storyline is compelling. That's true. Even in the hands of great actors, I don't think that storyline would be interesting. And there's nothing as, I guess, intense or heartfelt as, say, the scene where Liam is beating Cyrus to a pulp that revolves around the Hellenic... Like, she's never given anything that interesting to do, certainly not in the first season, and probably not in the second either that I can recall, but we'll get there. Oh, how will we get there, listeners? I am so excited for our season two journey. But season one... (laughs) was also a journey, and there's so much to talk about. Storylines that you loved. Storylines that were your favorites. Not just moments, not just episodes, but, like, through lines. I I think a lot of the early episodes in particular took their time a lot more with moving the plot forward in meaningful ways. So when you think about the overall plot of these characters, like sometimes there were several episodes where a major character didn't really progress in any significant no. manner. Or even show up sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Um, Cyrus was definitely the most fun to watch uh, as a character. Like his um, relationship with Simon and his willingness to pounce upon his injury uh, for the chance to power. I think that was, I don't know. I mean, he fulfilled the role of a villain very admirably. And I think there's a reason we talk about him disproportionately on the show. I wish they would have given him a little more time in the finale. I think if they had given him one more scene, and if in that scene he had expressed anything other than ambitious glee over Simon's death because he didn't hate him. He Mm -hmm. didn't. He didn't. And because we already got such a cold reaction from Helena, it would have been nice. And I think the actor could have pulled it off flawlessly. We'd gotten just a little bit more Cyrus in the finale, but I'm always wanting more Cyrus. I mean, like you said, he's the most interesting character, but it's not even a contest. I mean, I mean, they tried to do that with the, what was what you dubbed the Barbara Bush moment. And of course, some of his... I stand by that. I nodded vigorously when you said that. Uh, yeah. And she some looks of, like a scarier Barbara Bush. And some of his admissions on the ground, his, his rebuttal to the idea that he may have killed him while he was, after he had been beaten. Um, I'm not sure how they would have worked an additional scene of him. I guess they could have had him by like Simon's bedside in a scene, maybe, uh, before before he passed, like, all alone. That probably would have been the best way. Yeah. Anything. Anything. Just a flicker of something else besides pure ambition. Mm Mm-hmm. Just because I think it would have made the ambitious stuff all the more painful that way. Yeah. Not even saying, like, he has regrets, but just a flicker of some other emotion. Oh, I was going to say, I also, like, one of the highlights of season one for me would be Cyrus and Simon's relationship. Sure. Even when they're not in a scene together. Just any sort of... Especially so in the sadly few scenes that they do share together. Um, Totally. Particularly the one in the cathedral where Cyrus is kind of trying to manipulate Simon. uh, Yeah, but I think he's also coming from an honest place. I think so, too. uh, At least initially. Yeah. Though he eventually loses patience, I think, a little bit. The other highlight, again, the other character we talked about the most on the show is probably Eleanor. She's certainly the most fun, I guess, in terms of a what the target audience might be looking for, um, I'd say. I was a little more drawn in by the... I think she's the easiest to root for. I think she's the easiest to root for, if nothing else. Yeah. Because Liam and Ophelia can just be so bland and just like... They kind of act as ciphers. They can be whatever the writers need them to be from week to week. Eleanor, for all her 
all the things that she does that frustrate me, and there are plenty of things she does that frustrate me, I feel like I have a good sense of who she is as a person and what she's like and sort of what makes her tick. Yeah. It's, yeah, I would rather spend time with her than most of the other characters. certainly elevates Liam quite a bit whenever she's in a scene with him in a way that Ophelia kind of doesn't. And I think something we like about both Cyrus and Eleanor is that they can both kind of bring the acerbic wit Mm. and jokes to the show. They're a good blend of characters who have some of the most, I mean, pathetic in the sense of the word like pathos. Characters who have these very emotionally wrought scenes, uh, fraught rather, you have... Eleanor and Cyrus, but they're also two of the funniest characters, which is probably probably a recipe for us enjoying them. Yeah, and um, certainly I think it's easy to argue that Eleanor is considerably more flawed as a character than Liam is. Like, most of our flaws about Liam are really informed, I feel like. Like, we're told, like, oh, this is a problem with Liam. He's, He's a, a playboy, yeah. even though we've but we don't seen see... him sleep with two girls and vaguely flirt with, like, two more. And he seemed very dedicated to Ophelia for the most part. Like, even though their relationship was relatively new. Fairly, he at times seemed borderline obsessed with her. I mean, yeah. she was obsessed back. So it was like a stalker thing. But, God, the two of them make me so uncomfortable sometimes. Like, when he started applauding in her dance rehearsal, mm-hmm. I was like, no one applauds in a rehearsal. Like, this so... is so bad. Um, I mean, we've accused them of being bland, but we have to, I think we do have to admit that a lot of that is the fact that there's just, they fail to be interesting because they fail to have significant flaws that are worth caring about. They're just like kind of as if Robert was better than fucking Liam, Robert, Jesus Christ, I can't, can't imagine because Liam shows he is risen. He is risen. Like his worst flaws is that crazy shit happens near Liam sometimes pretty much. And he is. Uh, Liam's biggest problem is that he has shit taste in friends. His friends always get... Those are the real fuck-ups. And he's shitty to his friends a little bit, I'm going to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I love Ashok. I'm not talking shit about him necessarily, but he does cause a lot of problems. Sure. I mean, specifically one large international incident. No, I'd, I'd, I'd blame that one on Jim. It was a combination. Sure. Um, he's the one who agreed to it on the grounds that he would get to... Mm. She would be topless in his car or you're something. Right, so right. he's not exactly a victim okay. here. I forgot, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think that Liam and Ophelia are played by bad actors at all. Like, there are some moments that William Mosley, who plays Liam, has where, like, you know, the saying goes, a good crier does not a good actor make, but Liam is both. He has sometimes these very intensely, like, sometimes he really shines in his sad moments. Mm. I do think he's charming and likable, but I think that he is a good actor, uh, maybe Ophelia, maybe, you know, I don't know. We haven't really had a chance to see her shine in any way because the the writing for them is just oppressively bland and generic and they don't talk like people talk, at least when they're having scenes with each other. They are very much like, it's like Hallmark cards. And, I, and I, I've always, I felt like when we started the show, and I think I still kind of feel this way, that um, Ophelia's role as one, the token American kind of in the show and the one who's kind of not a member of the royal family, but kind of gets pulled in with this royal family 
is largely as a window character for the audience. Totally. And by definition, mm-hmm. that character tends to be like one of the most boring characters in any given story. Yeah, because everyone wants to be Eleanor, but like no one is yeah. actually Eleanor. Like if you think you're Eleanor, but you're sitting at home watching the Royals, you're probably not. No, that's probably true. <laughs> Eleanor doesn't watch TV. She doesn't have a TV. Yeah. <laughs> She's not interested in your go- golden age television. For Mary Patterson's Patterson's uh, defense, yeah, being that character who can't have any character traits that are too strong or can't become... Like, they have to be a certain level of bland just so everybody can feel like they identify with them, and it makes for just a really difficult character to be on a show. I mean, to her credit, she has a very expressive face. Yeah. She's beautiful, and I sometimes I feel like I love to watch her just because she's, like, delightful to look at, but I wish they would give her something. I mean, unfortunately, next season, she is... Largely MIA. I mean, it's not really a spoiler to say she's not a series regular in season mm-hmm. two. Yeah. So... Uh, we lost we we're we lost some characters. Oh in yeah, season for two. sure. And I don't There's mean f- through death. I mean through like they're not here. Uh, I will miss Gemma in season two because in season one I thought that she was one of the better supporting characters. I really enjoyed the conversation that she had poolside with Eleanor in Monica, where she was like, "When was the last time?" you weren't just the girl that the guy wanted to sleep with. And it was like she had some, probably more than any other small supporting character, she had some really strong moments For sure. of, like, this is who I am. And she was just great, too. So funny. Yeah. So misguided about when is the right time to give Roadhead, if there even is one. That's a good question. Parked, maybe. Um <laughs> I don't think it counts. I think no, then you're yeah. just blowing someone in a car. That's true. <laughs> well, when Marcus is driving is the correct answer. That's when you give when uh, Marcus is driving the car. I feel like it's happened before. Poor Marcus. Oh, it must have. Uh, Speaking of, yeah, another character I wish had more to do because I really enjoyed, for the most part, what that actor did in the show when he was given the opportunity to do something. Great dry wit. Uh, yep. Nice, like, not just the actor, but the character, like you said once, I think, was a rare blend of both moral and competent. He might be the only character for whom those two circles intersect. Overlap, yeah. Uh So, yeah, I'm going to say Marcus was like a grounding presence in that sense. Tragically, another... I would love to see him back. You know, if only as a guest star, please. Yeah. He, uh, He's listening. They're all listening. He tragic. We tragically also lose Marcus in season two to a primetime NBC drama, uh, I believe. You know what? Good for him. He yeah. wasn't... They never appreciated him right on E. I am happy for him. And... Yeah. It can't have been chill being the only person of color who's a series regular on this show so if he's moved on to greener pastures so much the better yep no i'd, I'd, uh, but I'd he was take great. that opportunity for sure if i were in his shoes so Gemma was your favorite recurring character uh i think so i also really like joan collins as alexandra the grand duchess of oxford not so much for the character, although she is the Lucille Bluth of the show, which is always appreciated, but just because she's such a fun actress. Like, she is that character. She has such a she is such a big personality. It was fun. We need to, for sure, briefly let's talk about minor characters again and discuss, I think, Penelope and yeah, Maribel. Yeah, I would love to talk about minor characters, actually. I think Penelope and Maribel 
warrant at least a brief discussion. Um, their role in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and they are also some characters who go through some major changes in the second season, which we will eventually get to. Don't spoil it. We but will get there. And when we do, we're going to have to talk about it a lot. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. <laughs> But they were the designated, very over-the-top comic relief. The acerbic, certainly, aspect did not fall upon them. Much more... Yeah, no, they were more, like, body. Like, exactly. they're making the sort of jokes that are, like... I mean, oh, God, this is probably giving them too much credit. Yes, but, like, it. the modernized versions of, like, jokes about fish and sausage wallets and, yes, you know, exactly. fishwives oh, sure. and nuns and nunneries in Shakespeare. Yeah. They are, like, the... They're highborn because they're part of the royal family, but story structure-wise, they're like the lowborn, um, like peasant people who make all the jokes. Exactly, yeah. Um, too mixed success. I kind of like both the people who play those characters. That is not my preferred uh, type of humor in a show. Generally, I don't go to shows for the um, anal waxing <laughs> jokes. I would say. Not, not, not what Especially I mean. not ones where people's fathers show up and take oh, yeah. pictures of it during. Oh, they really go Still for it, Still really traumatized by that. Still really upset. Um, yeah. Big time. It's everything I enjoy about them comes from the actresses, you know, facial expressions, weird ways of holding themselves and gesturing, bits of business, like the thing we talked about where they're in Cyrus's study and just unworking the... and spitting in all the liquor bottles. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like if they had given those actresses no script and told them to improvise, it would have been a million times better because I could tell they're very talented comedians kind of making silk purses out of sow's ears, so to speak. I do. Enjoy, I did enjoy the intermissions with Penelope and Maribel in spite of the occasional very cringeworthy line or moment. Um, and I think it's kind of hard to overcome the first impression of them rolling up right after Robert's death and talking about vagina smells. But I think sure. after that, once you can get past that and a few other moments, I agree mm, with you. Yeah, no, they're, they're fun and they provide the relief that they are expected to provide for the most part. Um, again, some characters that are less important in season two, I would say, but... Um, or are they? Or are they? They could be setting something up. I, have no I idea. would debate that. I would say they're more important in season two than they were in season one. The Maybe biggest the thing plot. they ever did in season one was accidentally tip off Cyrus that Helena was moving against him. I, I want to say they get less screen time in season two, but that could be wrong because there are periods of four, three or four episodes where we never see them in season one at all. Yeah. I don't know. I would argue that a major plot point hinges on their existence in season two, but... Yeah. It's not, it doesn't give them agency as characters. It's just that because of who they are, they happen to be very important, which is arguably the point of the show or yeah. the point that several characters, including Simon himself, would make. And Liam, you know, has his moments where he comes around to that idea too. I just, I can't decide if they're uh, underutilized or perfectly utilized in terms of how much we see them. But I, I don't think we could stand more of them. Yeah. I don't think we could bear it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a four episode gap is a little much, but but yeah, that was too much. I would rather see a little bit of them every episode, right? Than see an episode like honestly, like Monaco. Where they by have the like time, five, yeah. they're offering virgin sex to that guy. Sure. You're just like, right? Please stop! Please stop! That's probably the best way to think about it. Is that it would be better if they had a little bit of business in each one instead of a big episode where they're all over the place and then just disappear. 
But yeah, it's just a really strong spice to throw into your dish. Like yeah. you put some, <laughs> you put some cumin in there. All of a sudden, the whole episode tastes like cumin. I mean, in terms of minor characters, the only things I can think of left to talk about are the series of handsome blandlings that populate Let's the show. Let's talk about the handsome blandlings because I actually wanted to tr- transition into talking about the romantic and sexual relationships on the show because it is a doozy. But sure. let's begin with the handsome blandlings. So let's list them and then rank them. I oh, just okay. came up with this idea. I wish we had enough to do like a March Madness style bracket, okay. but we don't. So we have the dreaded Nick. Nick. He has the last name. I don't know. I don't remember it. Okay. Carol, Carol, Caraway is the first thing that springs to mind, honestly. But um. <laughs> That's not it, but whatever. Uh, then we have... Beck, and his name is something really stupid, and Beck is his nickname. Yeah. Don't know. I knew it when we did the episode. Don't know. Did no research, took no notes, don't know it. And then we have Alistair Lacey, whose name I remember because why did a poor farm boy have such a fancy name in the first place? Could have got lucky. And I'm trying to think if there are any... Maybe Holloway? Um, He has political power, which makes him a little bit different. But sure, let's say Holloway. Yeah. Uh... In the sake of for the sake of fairness, that's that way we have four, and there are more that come along next season, and there are female handsome blandlings too. Yeah. So we'll have plenty to talk about. But for the time being, who is the best of the bland? Best of the bland. Who's the best one? Um, I guess out of those four. Oh, I was gonna say if you had to watch more of one, not like who is morally the best. If I had to watch more of one, maybe I would choose Holloway. Maybe he's elevated by the fact that his seed partner is Cyrus for his scenes, or the fact that he isn't just sort of fawning over his person. He has a little bit more of a complex relationship there. Um, but he was the most interesting of the four, I'd say. Uh, for me personally. I agree with you. I just wonder what Holloway's stakes are because at the end of season one, he was like saying he was going to out himself to free himself from Cyrus's clutches. So presumably give up his whole wife and family thing. Although we see him briefly again in season two. So I don't know if that ever panned out, but yeah, yeah. I agree that Holloway is the most interesting. I think he's interesting because that kind of ties into like the political intrigue side of the plot, as opposed to just people making lovey dovey faces at each other. Sure. And I'm going to say this might be an upset decision because the middle two, I kind of went back and forth, Okay. but I'm going to say number two in terms of who, I, whom I'd most like to see more of if I had to see more of one. I'm going to go with Alistair Lacey. I would agree 100%. Because, yeah. well, that actor has a very soothing presence on screen. He looks like the lion from the Chronicles of Narnia took mm-hmm. human form. Sure. Probably thinking of that because William Mosley is on this show. Um, and I think that he has the potential to be interesting to the plot if he were to try to stake his claim, you know, if he were to live, of course, he was shot or presumably shot in the season one finale, which is as far as we know for the podcast. Right. Um, but if he were to stake his claim to want to pursue tests, testing the ki- the twins, why was I going to call them the kids? They're probably older than me. Um, you know, if he was going to try to be a part of their lives or fuck up the Royals di- or the Henstridge family, the Royals dynamic, then that would be interesting. But I don't know that 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 will ever happen. Yeah, I actually agree that Alistair is the second most interesting. Um, I can't remember. At least I kind of remember his speech about Henry. 
I don't remember pretty much anything the other two ever said ever about anything except one very grievous example. Um, this actor playing Alistair, it's probably playing like, uh, who am I thinking of? Like, he's probably playing like major heroes of the stage in Britain right now. Some of these very dignified British right. character actors they bring in for these small parts, I'm like, across the pond, you are probably like King Lear oh, or yes. something. And I think his age gives him gravitas that the other two just don't bring at yeah, all. Yeah, he doesn't have to talk about douchey young person things. Right, exactly so. So I, <laughs> I say from my marble pillar of dignity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree that Alistair is my number two of, of the four. Uh, for number three, I mean, it's going to be Beck for me. It's got to be Beck. I was going to say the same thing. I was never going to give Nick that spot. I like to imagine Nick listening to this, not the actor, the character, and being mm-hmm. like having a Charlie Brown moment. You I think mean, Beck- he knows what a podcast is, Nick? Uh, he mostly stays in avoiding social he media. to the M83 podcast. Oh, maybe so. There's a podcast for everything. After all, there's a podcast for the Royals, isn't I mean, there? Yeah, he just despises social media. I would think that maybe podcasts would be a little bit too... But he finally discovered Google, and what do you think is the first thing he's going to Google? Podcast? Ophelia. Yeah, sure. No, Ophelia. Second thing, M83. Sure. <laughs> just yeah. Google Ophelia. <laughs> I that's wonder- what he did. That's what he says he did. Oh, that's-, that's not a joke. I guess he gave last name as well. Because- he said Google. Yeah. I uh, forgot that that's how he... Right. <laughs> but Beck is a controversial number three in some senses because you know he pissed me off by being one of those characters who's like... Eleanor, you have so much potential in such a vague way. But he actually did the very concrete thing of taking away her bag of drugs, which... While it was not 100% cool because she wasn't, like, choosing to do it, at the same time, he's, like, the only person who concretely showed her that she has a problem and that, like, life can be tolerable without being super fucked up. So uh, I'll give him a little bit of credit for that. I give him no points for being married and kissing another woman. Absolutely. Boo. Yeah. Boo. And when Ophelia, or Ophelia, Jesus, now I'm doing it. When Eleanor deleted his number in the episode after Monica, I was like, yeah. yeah. Kind of. <laughs> uh, uh, so number four. Without a doubt, is mopey, boring, indie, quote unquote, Nick, who Fuck is... Fuck that guy. My favorite thing about him is how much fun we had just Jay basically pissing on him the entire season. <laughs> We just dug our teeth and claws into this nothing and kind of had at it like a bunch of animals ripping apart a scarecrow. He so deserved it so much. Um, He was just an amalgamation of all the things that adults think millennials think are cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, he felt like he was created in a laboratory. (laughs) Or by, like, by Aaron Sorkin or something. Yeah, he basically was Dev Patel's character from the newsroom, Mm -hmm. but not as intelligent or interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry I said that, Dev. Please forgive me. That was the character, not the actor. Yeah, and this is actually not even the first time I brought up Dev Patel on the podcast because I talked about him in the first Ashok episode. So everything's coming full circle. Uh, Yeah, he just... I can't even put it into words. It's like a je ne sais quoi because he's he was just a perfect storm. I know he being, was terrible. He's a perfect storm of being bland to the point where you couldn't have an emotional response, but still somehow being aggravating. It's weird how he's he managed like to pull Anne from Arrested Development. Time. Yeah. Her? Yeah. Him? Yes. 
Yes. That's kind of how you feel the whole time Ophelia is leading him on. You're just like, him? Yeah. And the fact that, okay, here's the thing about Nick. He has no self-respect. Ophelia told him that she couldn't hang out because she was She's washing, washing her, her hair. hair. Yeah. And he's like, hmm, I get it. You hate me. I'll still wait for you forever. And Also, somehow my hatred of him is compounded by the fact that he shows up in season two and has no up. lines. <laughs> but yeah. he just stands there like like the boy mannequin he is. Oh, my God. I had a, I had a heart attack they, when he showed up that he would actually have to do something. But fortunately... They bought him at the Old Navy. They bought him at the Old Navy for sure. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, he's basically one of those cutouts of someone wearing clothes that they put in the front of the store. I guess that brings us to... I mean, if we're going to talk about the romantic relationships, the major ones... I knew this day would come. Yeah, I mean, it's... The big two biggies are Liam and Ophelia, which we've discussed some... And the one we've mostly avoided, which is Jasper and Eleanor, which is probably the romantically the heart, quote unquote, of the show. There's nothing more to say about Liam and Ophelia. Yeah. We have beaten this horse to death. There was nothing to say about them in the first place. And so now we have well and truly said all there is to say about them and the two of them together. I I really don't know what else to say at this point about that. It's more or less no longer a factor in the show in the second season, so... And it's so generic. It has nothing to do with... I mean, she's named Ophelia, but it has nothing to do with Ophelia and Hamlet, where he's kind of, like, playing mind games on her and stuff. I mean, it wouldn't be within Liam's character, but it's also just, like, robbing that relationship of the only thing that was interesting about it. Yeah. So... Because I haven't talked about this on air that much, but dear listener, this TV show is based upon a book called Falling for Hamlet that I tried in good faith to read. I did not succeed because it is quite dull, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, But it's literally Hamlet. All the characters have the names of the Hamlet characters. And so I know you're thinking the same thing Darren said when I told him about this. Oh, they just wanted to cover all their bases legally. No. Someone at the Royals read this book because there are scenes, at least in the first episode, that are lifted directly from the novel. So Uh. make of that what you will. I didn't. No Eleanor in that novel or any of the Eleanor adjacent characters probably explains why it wasn't good. But I would think that would be a major factor. Um, I did not try to read this book at all. Uh, I did not seek it out. I sent him screen caps. I sent you screen caps. I saw a so few screen caps. a little taste. And they were appropriately terrible. They were, wow. Yeah, I will never, I'll, I don't want to say, you know, never say never. Yeah. I'll probably never I f- finish it. I just can't imagine. I might try again. I can't imagine it's that long. But every page feels it's like, like an 10 yeah. when the prose is so wooden. It's a Sisyphean task where you get to this, the bottom of the page. I thought this, I felt this. A lot of Ophelia watching Hamlet sleep, a lot of Claudius and Gertrude, like, Every scene starts with Claudius and Gertrude making out, and then someone walks in on them, mm. uh, which sounds like it would be fun, but it's not. So, uh, book aside, let's go back to Jasper and Eleanor, since besides Liam and Ophelia, there are other major couple. Yeah. Um. Uh, and we've talked about them a lot this season of the podcast. Um, yeah. I mean, they've been given a lot of time... <laughs> A lot of time on screen 
for their relationship to develop, um, I guess. Uh, well, it's co- it's complicated right. to say the least. They've so been, we've had a lot of material. Was, we've had a lot of fodder there. The most difficult topic uh, of the entire podcast recording session, I think, consistently is is how to discuss them, sort of in a way that reflects the absurdity, yeah. but is also kind of respectful <laughs> of the fact that this is kind of a horrific situation. Yeah, you know, I'm actually proud of us that things haven't gotten more offensive. Yeah. Um, so there's always that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I, as a viewer, it's hard, you know, uh, I'm a passionate feminist. As I've said before on the show, I kind of want to dig in my heels and be like, no, I will not like this. And at the same time, as a viewer who's putting her, you know, political and moral beliefs aside, I can tell that this relationship isn't going anywhere. So... Mm-hmm me feeling angry at it isn't doing me any favors because I just, I know that the writers aren't going to do away with it. It seems like they're really invested in it as this grand romantic doomed love, which I still don't totally understand. And I I think my general impression is again, no, no actual research to support this, um, that among the viewers of the show, it is probably easily the most popular relationship because I will say this in contrast to Liam and Ophelia, it is much more interesting. Totally. And the actors, the actors have better chemistry sure. too. Yes, absolutely. Um, and they're, they're both good actors. Uh, well, <laughs> no, we haven't done any official research, but we have done the research of me looking on Tumblr uh-huh. and Twitter and seeing how popular that pairing is, especially it seems with, yeah, with like younger viewers of the show who are arguably the target demographic. So I'm not saying it's not successful because it can be compelling to watch, but it's so hard as, yeah, it's so hard to know like to get on board with rooting for it. Right. I mean, I've, I, I'm repeating myself, but it all comes back to that. It's like, no matter how good quote unquote things get right. you, uh, I mean, there is the sexual assault factor, but then even on top of that, there's the cherry on top that he, you know, slept with her mother. Yes. Although so. in that case, it's difficult to tell how much of that was his choice. I think we mentioned at the time. Um, and how much was it's Elizabeth Hurley's definitely, choice? It's definitely... Don't you dare let him off the hook. Well, she, don't you she dare. Did. She, was, she was certainly instigating it. I will say that. Oh, my She's God. She's the At Your Majesty's totally, Pleasure character. It was totally consensual, guess, though. Okay. You can't act like he was coerced into it, like, with Prudence and Cyrus Well, no, 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 no. Certainly no, 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 not no. to that he, degree. He knew exactly what he was certainly doing. Not to, Shame on certainly you. Not, certainly not like Prudence and Cyrus. <laughs> oh, no, no. That was no, considered... No. Darker. He knew exactly what he was doing right. and what he was getting himself into. He had that whole thing about how it wasn't his daughter I wanted, it was his wife. So Oh, I don't even remember that. You know, I'm gonna be honest, I don't remember. Yeah, he that. fully started it. Okay. I don't remember the dialogue about it wasn't his daughter, <laughs> it was his wife. Do not recall at all. There's a whole monologue in there. Wow, okay. Don't remember that. Yeah. Um <laughs> I guess I'll have to rewatch the whole first season. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I think so. Um, again, I think that this dark sort of sexual blackmail aspect of the show, which is most prevalent with 
this storyline. I will say to the credit of the second season, even though they don't abandon the storyline and it kind of still hangs over it, they certainly, I think, try to roll it back a bit. It's a less of a factor, I think, in the second season considerably. They've been trying to roll it back since episode one. Right. <laughs> They've been, it's it's like they jumped in and had like a Joe Bluth moment. I've made a huge mistake because every episode since season one, they've tried to roll back not just how dark he is of a guy, but the actual events of what happened have changed so many times. And, and I'm not just speaking specifically about these two characters, but also generally on the show. I think there's considerably less of that kind of thing in season two. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, thank God, because it's something that we've been talking about because we have to, mm -hmm. because it's the nature of our show, but... I'll just say it, it's not fun to talk about and we don't enjoy it and it's always kind of a stumbling block so I'm glad that it's going to go away. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jasper, the sad boy, this emo kid is here to stay. Mm -hmm. So I'm try I think in season 2 I'm going to try to make what peace with it I can and move forward. I guess. Yeah, I mean it is Yeah. It is the dish we have been it's served. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> I know. That's totally the one-bite rule. Um, I'll never be, like, someone who's very passionate about this couple, though. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. It's just... It started from such a, a nader that I just don't know how they can climb out of that particular hole ever. I don't think it's possible. Um, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. But, oh well. Um, but... As far as major characters and uh, plot lines on the show, I think we've got it covered pretty well at this point. Here's a silly little question that I thought of the other day, and there is no right answer. There really is no right answer. Uh -huh. Gun to your head. If you had to be in a relationship with any of the characters from the Royals, which would you choose and why? Keep in mind, anyone you choose, they will probably ruin your life forever. Uh, oh, that's so easy. It's Marcus. Obviously, Marcus. <laughs> I guess that's true. That is a good choice. Well, that, God damn it. That was going to be my answer, but now I feel like I need to choose another one. I mean, Ophelia would be slavishly devoted well, to me. She's, so It would be a boring relationship, its, but it wouldn't be. Yeah, that has its ups and its downs, She'd be I impressed guess. with your musical knowledge. Uh, um, if I could go back in time to the 60s and see, like, groovy young Simon in his polo so outfit, like, I might Simon, feel something. Simon is close to i mean physically i mean and age wise it's a big gap but he is close to the best bet personality wise on the show personality wise he's a little old for me yeah. um in terms of age but i was like going through the handsome blandlings in my head but can't, there was you can't you can't go there no good choice no. from that that's a no, dark path that's like a walk. living in purgatory if you were married to them it'd just be like guts. i didn't say married Whatever. now in you're really stressing me I'm out i'm assuming yeah. things are going to progress at some point um <laughs> i don't know why that would happen based on commitment is not any of these characters strong no, that's suits true. uh including many of the characters commitment to the show because a lot of them disappear including marcus so this <laughs> season two answer i think is if you ask me this again in a wrap-up of season two it's going to be much more difficult oh yeah well at least we'll have some new choices yeah a few uh i wanted to bring this up because i personally have had a certain song on repeat on my spotify account for the past couple of days since we recorded the finale episode with darren 
Um, of the on-the-nose musical cues in the show, which was your favorite? I mean, the the only one that springs to mind by title that I could think of and kind of hear in my head is the Lord, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. That's the song that I've been listening to over and over. But I was also remembering the time that they played that Antlers song um, from that really, really sad concept album Hospice, and I started crying, and I was mad at the show for making me feel something uh, by manipulating yeah, that's me a cheap shot. with an unrelated song about cancer. Uh, so that was hard. That is a cheap shot. Uh, yeah. We've pretty well covered mm-hmm. season one of the Royals, probably more so than anyone else that out there on the internet. Yeah. Uh, we are going to jump right in with season two starting next week. We're not taking a week off. We're just going for it. So, um, um, so if there's anything that you would like to hear from Stage of Fools, uh, if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, Feel free to hit us up on our Facebook page or on Twitter. It's uh, at Stage of Fools Pod on Twitter and then just Stage of Fools. We have a page on Facebook. You can get in touch with me, Zach, or Darren, any combination of the three of us there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're really excited for season two. We hope you stick around. It is, I would say, would you say as absurd or even more absurd than season it's one? It's a very, I think it's a different flavor of absurd it's almost like a different show yeah it kind of does it's much more yeah. uh conspiracy and intrigue and mm-hmm. i think it uh, it's like more There's some magic yeah 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 it's got like a, some supernatural elements like it's if if royals got a little bit of house of cards in its flavor somehow maybe a little bit with some political machinations yeah. I thought you meant with the ghosts, and I was like, what? Are there ghosts? I have not watched House of Cards. I didn't Cards, watch much but... of it. Are there ghosts in it? I don't know. Um, in House of Cards? No, I don't think so. That's think what so I'm either. saying. That's why I was confused. No, no, no. Anyway. No, yeah. also ghosts. <laughs> anyway, uh, the show will be different, but don't worry. We will continue to do no research yeah. and guess wildly about everything we don't know. So you can count on the same quality that you've come to expect nay demand yes. from stage of and Fools. you could probably expect some both new and possibly some repeat guests i would assume i would say yes to both of those yeah. and of course because the show is insisting on continuing to do this for its episode titles we will right. be providing you with some more choice hamlet readings right, yes. which i gotta say i do always enjoy yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that pretty much wraps us up. So I want to save this one last question. What was your favorite episode of the Royal Season 1? Despite the fact that some of the first half tended on some boring material, I think the strong parts of the finale may have made it actually mm-hmm. the most enjoyable the most enjoyable one to watch for me. Uh, I think when it was engaging, it was really firing... As much as this show can on all cylinders. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say that one. But my favorite image or moment remains from the premiere. Uh, Cyrus aiming the gun at Simon. That remains the best single image or moment, I think. Yeah, we need to put like a picture of that or something on our Facebook page. Because we talk about it all the time. Sure. And I worry that people haven't seen it. But it's just that good. Mm-hmm. I agree. It was a it was a super strong finale. I remember, you know, the first time I watched the season, I watched it basically as it aired. And when the finale ended, I was like, oh, man, I want more episodes. So if a finale can leave you feeling like that, then it's it probably works. pretty yeah. good. 
Yeah. I'm going to say an episode that almost had a finale-like vibe, uh, episode seven, Your Sovereignty of Reason. And this was kind of the end to the string of silly episodes because mm-hmm. it came on the heels of episode six, right. which, of course, took us to Monaco, famously. Mm-hmm. Um, although I did love going there with our pal Andrew Schwartz. Uh, Great guest. Yes. Check Perfect. out Talking About Turtle. <laughs> um And that episode has a lot of great drama and intrigue. It has some great lines. Uh, We got some, I think that was our first episode with Joan Collins as Alexandra, the Duchess of Oxford, and she is a favorite of mine. I'm going to go ahead and say Uh, that episode also contains, of the season, probably my favorite, FML, which is Joan Collins uh, dropping probably the best... My favorite one of the season. It has all her gangy scenes where oh. she's giving Eleanor the jewelry, but not um, Helena. And it has the scene of Simon confronting Helena and Cyrus and grabbing Cyrus's good, face yeah. and like smooshing mm-hmm. it up. Uh, so, yeah, I have a lot of positive things to say about that episode. Sees, uh, yeah, episode seven, Your Sovereignty of Reason, that I think is my pick, which I love because. Seven is the magic number from Harry Potter. Sure. Just had to sneak in one last bit of dorkiness there before we end our podcast season. I am a little... I, I hadn't thought about it, but uh, even though it starts out really promisingly in the first episode, I guess the FMLs really stop in season two. I, I think they kind of taper off pretty quick. I'm a little sad about it. I'll miss them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they always felt out of place, but I know that it was something that was important to the show, mm-hmm. so I feel like a little bit like yeah. it's a, it's bittersweet. It's definitely yeah. bittersweet. Yeah, maybe it was time. Thanks so much for sticking with us for season one of Stage of Fools, and we will see you next week for season two. Uh, I have been Zach Powers. And I will continue to be Shannon Camp. Uh, all right, bye-bye. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis. I waved. I waved goodbye. <laughs>